0: So, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, welcome to the first session for this term, and we're delighted to have Professor Cheshire Calhoun with us, who, as you can see, is from Arizona State University, where she's a professor of philosophy. Um, professor Calhoun is known especially for her work in normative ethics, moral psychology, philosophy of emotions, feminist philosophy, and gay and lesbian philosophy. And she's just published two books very recently, uh, Moral Aims, which is a collection of essays published in 2016, and a book called Doing Valuable Time, just published in 2018. Uh, She is very well known for a series of very important essays in moral philosophy and moral psychology, and we are absolutely thrilled to have you here tonight to talk to us on, as you can see, responsibilities and taking on responsibilities. Just for people who uh, are familiar with the procedure, uh, we'll have the talk. We'll then break for a few minutes for a cup of tea, coffee, and then come back for questions and answers after that.
1: Thanks. So thank you for coming. Um, I'm really honored to, to be here. Um, so unfortunately, I am, I am old school and I'm a reader, but I will try to be lively about my um, mm-hmm. reading. Um, So people have very different uh, approaches to the doing of philosophy. And my own approach um, is to look around in sort of everyday life for phenomena that philosophers haven't paid a lot of attention to, or if they have paid a lot of attention to it, perhaps I think not in the right way. Um, And I'm particularly interested in phenomena that I find puzzling and even more so troubling. So that when I take them up philosophically, I, I'm always doing a little bit of, uh, I suppose, personal therapy, which I uh, hope is also therapeutic to um, other people. So the phenomenon I want to take up today is uh, responsibilities and taking on um, responsibility. This is something actually I think about a lot, sometimes with my faculty head uh, hat on, where I have to think about uh, making sure the responsibilities get distributed fairly. Um, sometimes I just think about it um, with my job hat on when I realize that I, I have an unfortunate penchant for raising my hand and taking on um, responsibilities. Um, and over time,, I'm, uh, you know, anybody who does this very much, uh, develops a kind of knowledge and skill that virtually assures that you're gonna be asked to take on yet more responsibilities. Um, and so I have actually find myself troubled by this whole um, phenomenon and what I had actually hoped to be able to write about um, was just how to think about um, unfair distribution of responsibilities. Um, as you'll see, I, I actually don't get there. <laughs> I had to start um, at the beginning and uh, just by trying to think about what a responsibility um, is, and then I wanted to take up some ethical um, concerns about responsibilities. All right, so um, let let me just um, start off. So um, this is a topic that I think that uh, most people can uh, identify with because much of our lives, both on and off the job, are consumed with uh, taking... Um, carrying out our responsibilities Um, and this is the kind of responsibility that's a familiar object of complaint. So some people complain that they have too many responsibilities. I do that a lot. Um, Some take on responsibilities that they ought not to take on. Um, Some meddle in what is not their own responsibility Uh, and some feel feel that their willingness to take on their responsibilities is exploited Um, And sometimes, of course, responsibilities, one might think, are unfairly distributed. All right, so starting with the basics, what is a responsibility? And how are responsibilities related to this more familiar philosophical notion of an obligation? So I plan to explore these questions without assuming that responsibilities are necessarily connected with responsibility in the accountability sense, right? Um, so indeed, I will argue that some responsibilities are not obligations and thus are not uh, connected with the accountability sense of responsibility that comes with blame if you fail to discharge your responsibility. So there's two reasons, uh, among the ones I, personal reasons I stated at the beginning, there's two reasons why I'm interested in getting a fix on what a responsibility is. the phenomenon of taking on responsibilities although it's familiar to all of us in everyday life it remains um, pretty much philosophically unexamined Um, and it's tempting to think that responsibilities are always taken on through promising contract agreement or the like and thus to take on a responsibility is to assume a special obligation but well, once you start surveying the variety of ways that responsibilities get taken on, um, one begins to think that not all responsibilities are in fact obligations. Rather, many of responsibilities get taken on in ways that do not bind us on pain of blame to future performance. So I think we need an account of what a responsibility is and of its relationship to obligation that makes sense of taking on responsibilities in these non-contractual ways where we can't be faulted if we (coughs) stop carrying out those responsibilities. Second, um, I think it's worth understanding the normative significance of our having responsibilities. So maybe it's the case that responsibilities are normatively significant just because they're obligations. But the complaints that I mentioned at the beginning having to do with having too many responsibilities or taking on responsibilities that you ought not or meddling in responsibilities um, suggest that responsibilities might have another kind of normative significance. In particular, those complaints point towards something we might think of an ethics of responsibility that's not coextensive with an ethics of obligation So I think the first step toward exploring an ethics of responsibility is constructing an account of what a responsibility is. Okay, so I'm gonna have something to say about um, both of these. So what is a responsibility and then towards the end I'm going to take up these questions that have to do with the ethics of responsibility in particular, how you can take on responsibilities badly. Okay, so Well, I'm gonna be giving it a particular account of what a responsibility is. I want to begin by just acknowledging that like so many of these terms um, that philosophers wanna talk about, um, in, in everyday language, there's no sort of univocal meaning and so we use the term responsibility in this countdown sense to refer to a variety of different things. Okay so sometimes when we talk about a a responsibility, we do just mean an obligation or a duty. It's a perfectly common way of speaking. And, And in that case, you know, you're thinking whatever you're responsible for in the accountability sense of responsibility is one of your responsibilities. So for example, you might wonder, well, what are my moral and legal responsibilities? And that's just to ask, What are my legal and moral obligations for which I can be held accountable? Your responsibilities in this sense include both things you are required to do as well as things you are required not to do. For example, take advantage of other people's weaknesses or assault the postman. This conception of a responsibility, notice, has no distinctive content separate from the notion of an obligation, right? So these are just basically being used as interchangeable terms. Now sometimes when we talk about responsibilities, we intend to refer more narrowly to the things one is responsible for within a job or a social role. So one might wonder, What are a pet owner's responsibilities? Or, what will be my responsibilities if I take this job? If the point of talk about job or role responsibilities is just to draw attention to a special source of obligation, right, your job, your role. Responsibility, once again, the term responsibility, once again, has no distinctive content and We could replace the word responsibility um, and eliminate it from the English language without any conceptual cost in favor of just talk about obligations or perhaps special obligations and duties. But suppose, as I want to suppose, we take seriously the possibility that talk about responsibilities does some conceptual work that talk about obligations doesn't do. How should we spell out this notion of responsibility? So Joel Feinberg and uh, Robert Gooden proposed this. Responsibilities require the exercise of discretionary judgment. And responsibilities involve seeing to it that some goal or outcome comes about and they also propose a contrast between responsibilities and mere duties. So just to tell you a little bit more about their view, in Responsibility for the Future, which I think was published in the Proceedings of the Aristotelian Society, uh, Joel Feinberg draws the contrast between responsibilities and mere duties this way. So here's his words. Discretion and authority, as well as near unconditional liability for bl- to blame for failure, distinguishes the responsibilities of difficult jobs and responsible positions from the mere duties to obey, to try one's best, of children, menial laborers, and soldiers. End quote. So responsibilities, in his view, differ from what he calls mere duties, not only in the amount of discretionary judgment involved in determining how to fulfill them, but also in what they require the person to do. So one is responsible for bringing about a result. One has a duty to perform an action. Where the actions that are our duties, Feinberg says, quote, are typically so simple that assignments of duty need carry little discretion or authority with them. Performance of duty does not generally call for great skill or independent judgment, end quote. Evidently agreeing with Feinberg, Robert Gooden also proposes, and this is his words, that what crucially differentiates responsibilities from duties is the discretionary component necessarily built into them. And that's why I'm calling this the discretionary judgment account of responsibilities. So like Feinberg, he also contrasts duties to do some specific action, like emptying the trash, with responsibilities that set the person a goal, while leaving open the choice of actions to be taken pursuant to that goal. So summarizing this account, responsibilities (coughs) differ from mere duties in involving, first of all, the use of significant discretionary judgment. Secondly, seeing to it that certain results come about such that third, at least on Feinberg's view, being excused for failure to bring about those results is unlikely as he says comes with near unconditional liability for blame. All right. So that's a nice beginning, but I wanna ask, is discretionary judgment really a defining feature of responsibilities? So I think this view isn't without its merits, and you'll see I'm gonna pick up little threads of it later on, Um, but in my view, you know, I think a philosophical account of an everyday phenomenon, you know, in this case, the phenomenon of responsibilities, um, should fit how we actually talk about the phenomenon, and I don't think this view Um, does. So consider, it wouldn't be at all odd to describe non-managerial jobs, you know, the job of the janitor, the menial worker. Um, These are jobs that require very little discretionary judgment, but it wouldn't be odd to describe them in terms of a list of um, responsibilities that the person who occupies the job has. Um, So if you're thinking of someone in a kind of accounting role, you know, their responsibilities might be to see that all sales are recorded, that invoices are sent out to clients, that the doors are locked in the evenings. None of this involves discretionary judgment, but it seems to me we would say this is, the, you know, the person, the employee's list of responsibilities. So outside the world of jobs, too, we often talk about divvying up responsibilities. Again, when we're not thinking of responsibilities as involving discretionary judgment. So you go to a, a potluck, right, and you divvy up responsibility for bringing the main dish, the dessert, the salad, and so on. It really doesn't take discretionary judgment to <laughs> bring a salad, um, but again it seems like it's your responsibility to do so if that's what you've been assigned. <coughs> So the discretionary judgment might, you know, initially have seemed central to a responsibility it is I think an artifact of beginning from ex- examples of responsibilities that, um, uh, that are features of difficult jobs or administrative positions, um, rather than beginning with examples of menial laborers' um, responsibilities. So the result, let's see is I think, and this is the second criticism of the view, um, that Feinberg couldn't really elevate to defining features of responsibilities. um, What's distinctive of only some responsibilities, and in particular, there are features that make those responsibilities burdensome. So it's true, managerial or administrative positions um, come with responsibilities that are burdensome precisely because they're going to involve a significant amount of mental attention, including creativity, careful discretionary judgment, um, and they're also typically burdensome uh, responsibilities because managers do shoulder near unconditional liability to blame for failure. That said, that a responsibility requires using significant discretionary judgment and that the responsibility imposes near unconditional liability for blame seem to me just two and a much longer list of sorts of features that can make a responsibility burdensome. So for example, responsibilities might be burdensome just because they're time consuming or that they involve unpleasant or pointless tasks or that they've been added on to an already full plate of responsibilities and so on. Because different responsibilities will be burdensome in different ways and some won't be burdensome at all. I don't think it's particularly burdensome for me to discharge my responsibilities for caring for my kitties. I enjoy it, it's burdensome. So given all this, I don't think we should attempt to define what a responsibility is by focusing on what makes some job responsibilities burdensome. It's one thing to have a responsibility. It's another thing to have a burdensome responsibility. Okay. So with this critique, where are we? Well, there's one bit more critique to go of the discretionary judgment view. So the one feature I haven't yet criticized that I now want to criticize is the thought that all responsibilities are obligations and you knew this was coming from the way I introduced this discussion. All right, so um, Feinberg and Gooden um, assume that obligation that responsibilities are just obligations that one takes on by assuming a job or by becoming a parent, adopting a pet, enlisting in the military and so on, Okay, so that's the view that I want to criticize. As Feinberg expresses this view, quote, persons take on responsibility quite of their own accord. And when they do, they're committed to their responsibilities quite as much as debtors are by their obligations. Gooden similarly observes, quote, like duties, responsibilities similarly constrain the bearer. In the former case of duties, A is duty-bound to perform or refrain from performing certain actions. In the latter case of responsibilities, A is bound by his responsibilities to strive for certain goals. Okay, so we've got an obligation. Now, what could be wrong with that thought? I think you might have thought it was the correct thought. So, to the extent that it is correct, many responsibilities, in fact, are obligations. I want to suggest that it's a misleading thought. But more importantly, I also think that it's not an entirely correct thought. So some responsibilities, I'm going to argue, are not, in fact, obligations. And we won't fully grasp the nature of what a responsibility is, until we stop thinking that obligation is what's at the heart of a responsibility. So to see what might be misleading about the idea that if one has a responsibility, then one has an obligation that one is duty-bound to discharge, I want you to first consider two examples and then there will be a third. So the the first case is this. In virtue of having accepted a job as a faculty member, one has a responsibility to provide students with feedback on their work, if only in the form of grades. The second case is this. In virtue of having accepted a job as a faculty member, one has a responsibility to do service work such as serving on college committees, reviewing journal submissions, doing community outreach, becoming an officer at a professional organization, and so on. I'm assuming that, you know, being a faculty member here works pretty much like it does in the U.S. where, you know, part of your job is, oh, we got to do some service, okay. So giving students feedback and doing internal and or external service work, are two of our faculty members' responsibilities, and I want to note that they are obligatory. Blame will attend failure to discharge those obligations. But there's an important difference that is obscured by just focusing on the obligatory nature of these two responsibilities that I've mentioned. The first responsibility sets a quite specific end, providing feedback to one's students, that narrowly directs action by specifying to whom feedback is to be provided, and in a context where it's clear what could possibly count as feedback. By contrast, the second responsibility sets a quite general end, right? Doing some kind of service work. But it's not similarly directive. Instead, it leaves open to discretionary judgment what kinds of service for whom and in what amounts. Both of these obligations come with having take the job. It's not elective, whether one acts on them or not. But in the second case, it's elective how, for whom, and how much one promotes the general end. For any particular activity, and I often think about this as I'm thinking about particular activities. So for any particular activity, reviewing this manuscript, reviewing manuscripts at all, (laughs) serving on committees, or editorial boards, becoming an officer in a professional association, one has no obligation to do specifically that. One volunteers to do these things. One can do a lot of volunteering. One can volunteer for tasks no one else wants to do. One can volunteer to do the really important bits of work. And one can do all this volunteering because others aren't volunteering. Now to describe all this volunteering is merely doing what one is obligated to do, is to misdescribe what is going on. This is instead taking on new responsibilities, and typically, because one appreciates the values that are being served by discharging those responsibilities. And, and thus you appreciate that someone needs to be doing these things. Now to press this point home, consider one last example. As a professional academic who values the academic program's success, one has a responsibility to look after and enhance the welfare of that program and (coughs) its students. So I call this a very general (coughs) end, And one might think that it too is a responsibility that comes with the job. By taking on the job, one has agreed to adopt the basic values that the job serves and to promote those serve values. But notice that, unlike the responsibilities to give students feedback or to do service work, this responsibility is unlikely to appear on a list of formal job responsibilities. I don't know; maybe things are different in the UK, but we would never, you know, advertise a job or you know, tell people this is one of your responsibilities. However, taking on board the values that the job is designed to promote, the job occupant can see what someone needs to do in order to promote those values to enhance the program's welfare, the student's welfare, and thus what will be plausible (coughs) extensions of her own assigned responsibilities. So, this is an example actually from my own um, philosophy faculty. So suppose your department has not institutionalized practice job interviews for students who are going on the market. And you might think, huh, student success is a main value here, so someone needs to help them prepare for job interviews. And you volunteer, let's say, to be that person, organizing some practice job talks and enlisting your colleagues' help. Now, it's perhaps true that in taking on responsibility for organizing practice job talks you're acting on a job obligation to look after and enhance the welfare of the program. And it's almost certainly true that having announced that one is taking on this responsibility you're now obligated to carry through, but in this last case I think even more than the other two cases, focusing on the underlying obligation misleads. It obscures what is more salient to the person who now has the responsibility for those practice job talks. She needn't have volunteered in the first place. Instead, she has electively extended her responsibilities, taking on new ones, and gratitude is an appropriate response to her having done so. Okay. This doesn't look like the proper response to an obliga- carrying out an obligation. You're supposed to be grateful that people do it. Okay. Now I said a bit ago that a conception of responsibilities as obligation one takes on is not only misleading for the reasons that I've given, but also false. So to see why responsibilities or obligations one takes on is false, I want you to consider these two examples. And this works so much better here in the UK than it does in the United States. Okay, you're gonna see in just a moment. All right, so consider first David Sedaris. All right, so he has become famous for spending three to eight hours a day picking up litter in and around London, and particularly around where he lives, or at least lived, in Pulborough. So testifying before the MPs on the Communities and Local Government Committee, Sadara said this. This is something I can do something about, and so it's my problem. It's the problem I've adopted. Or consider, I've changed the name to protect this grad student, but this is a real person. Or consider Ashley the grad student who notices that the department library is in disarray with many books incorrectly shelved or uncataloged. She thinks someone needs to get this library organized and she takes on responsibility for doing so. Now, the interesting question is, having taken on these responsibilities, are Sidaris and Ashley now obligated to pick up litter and organize the library, respectively. I don't think so. So simply making public what they intend to do doesn't constitute a contract or agreement with others, especially since no one has asked them to do these things. They might be grateful they're doing these things, but nobody asked them to do these things or asked for volunteers. Perhaps they have invited others to rely on their continued performance. But it's hard to see why others would be entitled to rely on Sidaris and Ashley continuing to do what others could have done, but are unwilling to choose to do themselves. (coughs) Now perhaps it's been suggested to me that in doing librarian sorts of things, Ashley has implicitly assumed the role of librarian and so now has a role obligation. But roles and their corresponding obligations are institutionalized, and doing librarian sorts of things does not make Ashley the librarian any more than my (laughs) doing parenting kind of things for my neighbor's child makes me their parent. So, in short, just as discretionary judgment turned out not to be a defining feature of responsibilities, So being binding obligations is not a defining feature of responsibilities. Again, I wanna be clear, I think lots of responsibilities are obligations, I just don't think it's an essential feature of a responsibility that it be an obligation. Now the temptation to think that responsibilities just are obligations, or as one of my colleagues says, (laughs) no obligation, no responsibility, (laughs) I think that temptation arises from our not being able to imagine what a responsibility could be if it's not an obligation, okay? All right, so I'm gonna have an answer to that question. All right, so if you ask, what is a responsibility? This is what I am going to suggest. And it's rather long and cumbersome, I'm gonna go through the parts of it. So to have a responsibility is to have been assigned, or to have self-assigned, as Sedaris and Ashley did, <coughs> Ownership of an end, in a context in which there is a justification for thinking that someone needs to adopt this end and see to it that some of the activities that would realize or promote that end get carried out, you know, it's such a mouthful. I-, I think of it more simply: responsibilities are just answers to the question, who is to do what someone needs to do. All right, so <clears throat> going through this a little bit by bit. So I've suggested here responsibilities involve adopting an end, seeing to it the end is realized, being assigned or self-assigned ownership of an end, and in a context in which someone needs to adopt the end and see to its promotion. So let's start with the idea that responsibilities are connected with ends. As my earlier example suggested, ends can be more (laughs) or less general, more or less specific, and thus more or less connected with determinate courses of action. Here are some examples of general ends. The flourishing of a graduate program, the welfare of one's child, the success of a business. These ends are general because a wide range of activities are relevant to promoting them and as a result there will be significant room for discretionary judgment in determining both how to go about promoting those that end and to what extent to do so. Okay. So this is the little bit I want to pick up from Feinberger and Gooden. There certainly are responsibilities that are responsibilities for highly general ends where discretionary judgment will be involved. Many general ends of this kind are naturally described as goals or results. and responsibility for such ends is naturally described as responsibility for a goal or a result as Feinberg and Gooden suggested. But ends can also be highly specific, entailing fairly determinate means of promoting them and thus leaving little to discretionary judgment. The custodian is assigned the specific end of cleaning the offices. The potluck participant is assigned the specific end of bringing the salad. In the case of specific ends, those ends are naturally described as actions and responsibility for such ends as responsibility for fine, for doing a particular thing. All right. So to take on a responsibility is to adopt an end, and to adopt an end is to make some degree of commitment to seeing to it that the end is realized. A feature that both Feinberg and Gooden correctly took to be central to responsibilities. So seeing to it uh, is a sort of vague term. It, It captures a lot, and there are a variety of different things that might be involved in seeing to it that a particular end is promoted. So as Gooden suggests, one kind of seeing to it activity is self-supervisory, right? Where you remind yourself, this is my responsibility. <laughs> right? And you remind yourself when you think about what needs to be done in order to realize um, the end when it's taken on. Um, you need to supervise the planning of your own time so that getting it done is possible and you need to motivate yourself to do it. In addition, seeing to it also involves acquiring relevant information and developing necessary skills and this is why people who take on a lot of responsibilities they find themselves in a situation where they're asked to take on even yet more because they've acquired the skills and knowledge to do so. And finally, seeing to it involves treating obstacles and setbacks to realizing one's end as problems to be solved, rather than as reasons to give up the end. That's the stick to it of seeing to it. Now, obviously, not everything, and and this is a little bit of Kantian language, this language of adopting ends, and and so you should already be thinking, well, not everything one adopts as an end and commits oneself to realizing is a responsibility. So you might have as your personal end, as I once did, learning the rumba, or losing 10 pounds. Now, these commitments to ends are not responsibilities. So why does Sedaris' adopting the end of picking up the litter count as a responsibility, and your adoption of the end of learning the rumba not count as a responsibility? That's why we need this third feature. So responsibilities arise when ownership of an end has been assigned in a context in which there is a justification for thinking that someone needs to adopt this end and see to its realization. I should have said uh, we need the third and fourth features. Taking Rumba lessons or losing five pounds, however worthy, are not the sort of ends of which we might plausibly say well, someone needs to adopt that and and see to its promotion. Cleaning up neighborhood trash is. Now assigning responsibilities is an important mechanism for ensuring that goods that need to be promoted actually get promoted. Assigning responsibilities is also an important mechanism for solving coordination problems in realizing an agreed upon and. So, To illustrate, suppose you and a group of friends have decided you want to have a home-cooked meal together. And in context, it's clear that someone needs to provide the food, but who? If this question is not answered, the participants may arrive at the appointed date to find no food or food that consists entirely of salads. Now, one option is for you to volunteer to cook everything. So someone has to. You say to yourself, "Someone has to cook, so let it be me." Another option is to assign each person responsibility for bringing a specific part of the meal. In this divvying up of responsibilities, the group thinks, "Well, someone needs to provide the salad, so let it be Ian. Someone needs to cook the main dish, let it be Joe. So on. now, someone needed to pick up the litter in and around Polborough." Am I saying that right? Is that how you say it? No.
0: I don't, I
1: don't know. It's an area of London.
0: Over. Over. H-O-L-B-O-R-N.
1: P-U-L-B-U-R-O-U-G-H. B-O-R-O-U-G-H. You've never heard of it. I don't
0: think any of us have
1: heard of it. Oh, that's so funny. OK. Well, it's a bit of London. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Isn't
1: that amazing? OK. So, so someone needed to pick up the litter there, wherever there is. After all, Sidaris says, who wants to live in a teenager's bedroom? That's no way to live. But who is to do this? Sidaris answered the question, let it be me. Company founders might think, well, someone needs to clean the new offices, but who? Let this be assigned to a particular employee. Responsibilities, whether self assigned, assigned by mutual agreement, as in the potluck participants, or assigned by authorities, as by the um, um, uh, employer, are answers to the question who is to do what someone needs to do. All right, but how do we know what ends need to be adopted? So sometimes someone needs to adopt and see to the realization of an end because doing so is connected with an imperfect moral duty or a duty of beneficence. So think for example of hospitals who have an imperfect duty to care for the indigent. They're morally obligated to do something for at least some of the indigent population. So some area hospital needs to adopt the end of caring for indigent patients and to see to its realization. Sometimes someone needs to adopt an end and see to its promotion because it's a necessary means of realizing something of evident value, such as the evident aesthetic and financial value of neighborhoods free of litter. Or of libraries in which books are correctly shelved and cataloged sometimes that someone needs to promote an end that is explicitly or implicitly agreed upon. Faculty members, for example, presumably agree on the value of their graduate student's success. And so individual faculty, can see that someone needs to help them prepare for their job interviews. And sometimes office holders have the authority to declare what needs to be done, as do business executives and government lawmakers. You can simply declare this needs to be done. <laughs> Since what has to be justified is that someone needs to do this, the justification has to be such that it would equally justify assignment of the responsibility to, or self-assignment of the responsibility by, someone else, instead of the person who in fact is assigned. So for example, if it's only, (laughs) Ashley is a neat freak, and if it were only her neat freak interests that were served by tidying up the library, then there would be no responsibility here, right? There would be no general justification that someone needed to do this. Now that people elect or volunteer to take on responsibility is in general a good thing. There are many goods, I have to think there are way too many goods that someone needs to promote, but neither are conventional moral obligations nor institutional arrangements assigned to anybody. Electively taking on responsibility can, however, be done badly. So I'm now going to turn to the last bit of the paper in which I am uh, do a really quick tour through the ethics of responsibility. to All right, so, I mean, you can sort of, this is sort of me chastising myself or reminding myself about how it's possible to go wrong in taking on responsibility. So, individuals who believe they have taken on a responsibility can be mistaken. There is no responsibility available to be taken on, and this for one of two reasons. On the one hand, what the individual thinks needs doing may not, in fact, need doing. On the other hand, now there is something that, in fact, needs doing. The individual is not eligible to take it on. So suppose, for example, that your pet sitter is like one of my pet sitters was. The pet sitter judges that someone needed to put away your credit cards and hide your laptop, which you had left in plain view of your windows, and that someone needed to unplug your coffee pot lest it catch fire. We don't have those handy little switches on our outlets, so you have to actually unplug the thing. So the pet sitter takes responsibility for hiding the credit card and laptop and unplugging your coffee pot. Now when you come home, you might reasonably complain that none of these things actually needed doing. No one was likely to peer through your windows and break in, nor was your coffee pot likely to catch fire. You might also reasonably complain that even if these things needed doing, a pet sitter is not eligible to take on that responsibility. Only those in whose sphere of responsibility a task falls have the standing to take it on the pet sitter's sphere of responsibility is limited to taking on responsibility for promoting ends related to your pets such as taking them for emergency veterinary treatment the responsibility to see to it that the credit cards and laptop were safely hidden away and the appliances unplugged was arguably yours alone attempting to take on or over those responsibilities is you know I have to say the same person we have we have this um city rule that you know when you put your garbage cans or trash your trash bins you all would say out on the curb uh, on trash day and then by that evening you have to bring them back in okay well you know it would be the day or two after trash ca- and there would be a bin still out and my neighbor would take responsibility for wheeling those trash bins back up the person's carport and leaving them by the house. You know, and I thought, no, this, it might need to be done, but not by you. It's not in your sphere of responsibility. Okay. So, attempting to take on or over these responsibilities is meddlesome. sometimes paternalistic, and determining whether or not there was in fact a responsibility available to be taken on I think is particularly important in assessing co- complaints that people might forward when they say, I have too many responsibilities. So it's possible to be overburdened with responsibilities as a result of making mistakes about what in fact needs to be done and about one's eligibility to take on particular responsibilities. And I once had a dean tell me, you don't need release time for this administrative role because you are taking on more responsibilities than you need to, right? So these things don't need to be done. All right, now when there is a responsibility to take, be taken on, it needs doing, one is eligible to take the responsibility for it, responsibility can still be taken badly. Right. So one can take on responsibilities badly by volunteering to do what one is either incompetent or at or unmotivated to do. And otherwise competent or motivated individuals can so overload themselves with responsibilities that they render themselves incompetent and sometimes unmotivated as well because they burn out on what they're doing. Now, in, this can be particularly bad in contexts where only one or a few people need to take on a particular responsibility. And so, you know, if you take on one, you heat more on your plate rendering yourself incompetent, or maybe you were incompetent or unmotivated in the first place, what you're actually doing is preventing someone who would have been competent and would have been motivated from taking it on. Okay. Now a third way in which you might take on responsibility badly (coughs) is this. So when others fail to execute their assigned responsibilities, stepping in and taking on those responsibilities is sometimes very, very tempting. But this isn't always a good thing; it can be insulting when there's no critical urgency that someone fill in the gap of someone who has fallen down on the job and could be given a second chance to come through. Taking over the job, their job for them, sends the insulting message that the person is incompetent and untrustworthy at their job. This last one is actually was actually pointed out to me by um, some grad students I was chatting with about responsibilities. So this is a different kind of badness um, that can affect taking on responsibility for um, organizing a collective activity to promote something of value. So of course, willingness to take on organizational responsibility for collective endeavors is really important, but there can be a fine line between taking on organizing responsibility and taking it over, hogging it, monopolizing it. This taking over can take uh, a variety of forms, this badly taking over. One can take over responsibility for more precisely defining what exactly the good to be promoted is thereby excluding others from having a say in articulating the end of collective activity. Right, so I mean if you're thinking about a department you think, uh, okay, what are the sort of general values that we are um, aiming to promote, right, you can, if you are in an administrative position, you can sort of take take that over and say, well, I'm gonna define what they are, thereby excluding other people from having a say in, in what the departmental activity is going to promote. You can also take over responsibility for defining the specific responsibilities that will need to be assigned. And again, you're excluding others from having a say, right? So if you're in charge, you can say, okay, these are the things that have to be done in order to promote this end, and and I'm not going to accept any input from others about what it is that needs to be done. Finally, we can take over responsibility by assigning to oneself too many of the specific responsibilities so that others are excluded from substantive or meaningful participation. Right? So I mean, on the one hand, I always think you know, having responsibilities is a burden, but being, having the option of taking on responsibilities is also a way of being recognized as a meaningful participant in a collective act- activity. Right? So somebody who hogs the responsibilities essentially marginalizes um, the rest of the individuals. So here the primary complaint is not not that taking on responsibility is mistaken, meddlesome, paternalistic or insulting, but that it's simply undemocratic. Given the potential for disagreement about both the ends of collective activities and the means of achieving those ends, as well as the importance of having opportunities to participate in meaningful activities, (laughs) taking on organizational responsibility in a way that is undemocratic and non-participatory is disrespectful and it treats the others to be involved in collective activities as instruments, mere instruments to one's own conception of the end to be promoted and one's own assessment of the means to doing so, or it marginalizes members of a collective. Okay. All right, so I'm just at the end of the road here. All right, so just summarizing. I've been arguing for a conceptual distinction between an obligation and a responsibility. Obligations pick out what one will be liable to blame for failure to do. Responsibilities answer the question, who is to do what someone needs to do? Though conceptually distinct in real life, many though not all responsibilities are also obligations. The account of responsibilities I've offered and the reason actually why I like this account is that it highlights the way that we can volunteer to take on responsibilities. We extend our sphere of responsibilities and we solve collective active pro- action problems by divvying up responsibilities. And in doing so, the account invites us to think about the ways we can volunteer to take on, extend, and divvy up responsibilities badly. Among the options I've mentioned are these, middling in or attempting to take on responsibilities already assigned to others, Monopolizing, monopolizing or hogging responsibilities, precluding others from meaningful participation, insultingly taking over the responsibility of someone who has fallen down on the job, and taking on responsibilities when it's incompetent or insufficiently motivated to act on or rendering oneself incompetent by taking on too many responsibilities. Such possibilities for taking on responsibility badly mean that those who take on responsibilities may be called on to render an account and should have thought antecedently about (coughs) why that responsibility does or should fall within their sphere of responsibility. What qualifies them to take it on Why it should be themselves rather than someone else who takes on this responsibility. Why so many responsibilities are being taken on rather than divvied up among a group. And how taking on responsibility is compatible with respecting others. All right, so that's it, thank you.